Now we're going to turn to our Bibles and have our Bible reading. We're going to read from the book of Galatians this morning. John's going to be uh, preaching from Galatians in a moment or two. We're going to read two passages from Galatians, one from chapter 1 and then one from the end of chapter 3. So Galatians chapter 1, reading from the beginning of the, the book, it's page 1,168, 1,168. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, first of all. So page 1168, Galatians chapter 1, this is God's word. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than that which you accept it, let him be eternally condemned. And then we're going to move over to chapter 3, over the page, chapter 3, verse 22. Chapter 3, verse 22. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us this reading from his word. Well, it's great that we get to worship here together, especially on 
uh, the Lord's Day and around the Lord's table. And if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please do open it with me to the book of Galatians. As we're going to think a little bit about the book of Galatians, we're going to think in particular about uh, them opening verses and then over into chapter 3 and the start of chapter 4 this morning. So Galatians chapter 1, and then from chapter 1, we're going to continue on through into the end of chapter 3 and into chapter 4. So this morning, as we come to this, as we come to this uh, little section of Galatians, to this letter, what we're really thinking about is the why and so what of Jesus' death. The why and so what of Jesus' death. And as we gather around the table, it's really important for us this morning to think about this. What's the big deal? What's all going on with communion? What is the big deal about coming and sharing as a church family here in this place around the Lord's table? What's going on? And you see, for many of us, what happens in our life, it's just like Nigel was explaining to the children, we start to forget the gospel. The gospel becomes dull in our minds. It becomes blurry. It's out of focus. We're not too sure what we think about the gospel. Or maybe we think it's only something that should come out at a mission or at the Holiday Bible Club or at Christianity Explored. That's when we should think about the gospel. But this morning... If we lose the wonder of the gospel, if we lose the wonder of it, then we're in a very dangerous position. So as we come to this this morning, our aim is this, that we would be refreshed, that our souls would be lifted as we see the gospel again. It's like being in a relationship and things start to go perhaps a little bit wrong. You start to fall into a a bit of a dip. And, and you think to yourself, what are we going to do? What are we going to do here? Well, we go right the way back and we, we maybe recreate our first date. And we go and, and we walk the steps that we once walked before. Or maybe we read, do you know, an old love letter that we had got years and years beforehand. And we reread it and we see it again for the beauty that it is. Well, that's what Paul's trying to do here with the church at Galatia. The church at Galatia had fell out of love with Jesus. They had walked a different path. Someone had come amongst them and had pulled them in a certain direction. They had started to walk away from Jesus. They had lost their love for Jesus, the love for the gospel. You see it here with Paul in chapter 1 and verse 6. I am astonished. You're so quickly moving away from the gospel that you're, you're abandoning the gospel. What's going on in your heart? What's going on in your life? So our first point as we come to this this morning is this. We want to see in the gospel that I was dead and now I am delivered because of Jesus. I was dead and now I am delivered because of Jesus. And uh, to help us think through this, a little illustration. Uh, This happened, uh, us boys, we went away on a holiday and uh, we went away on our first sort of lads holiday. You know, you get out of school and everybody heads away. And somebody thought that it would be a good idea to go to Ayan Napa. And as a Christian, and as a group of Christian boys, it probably wasn't the best place to head on holidays. But we decided that's where we were going to go. So we find ourselves in Ayan Napa and we're wondering what are we going to do in the evenings. Uh, and we uh, come across this haunted house. Right? We think, that's a good idea. We'll go to a haunted house in Ayan Napa. So we turned up at the haunted house. Pretty sure the guy that was in charge of the haunted house was... Um, consuming some drugs, shall we say. (laughs) Uh, That made it a whole lot more scary for us whenever we arrived. And the fact that people were coming out of the place in absolute horror uh, didn't fill us with great hope. And the fact that he ran us through several health conditions and made you sign a little form to say that you might not make it out of this haunted house alive. 
was not great either. Now, we went into this haunted house, and whenever we went into this haunted house, I have never been in darkness like it. And I don't know what it's like for you, but can you imagine the darkest, 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 darkest time? Darkness, so, so thick. The only thing that he told us was to follow this little red dot that there would be in the roof, and you had to follow this dot. Everything else was pitch black. I want us to put ourselves into that situation as if we were in a prison, somewhere absolutely pitch black, so, so dark. And whenever we're in that prison, there are voices in it. And one voice shouts to you and calls to you and says, look, follow me. I, I know the way out. Follow me and I, I lead us out. So we start to follow that voice. And maybe we follow it for a year or two years or three or ten. And then another voice calls out and says, no, no, no. I know the way. If you, follow, if you follow me and we're scrambling about, it's pitch black, we're scrambling about in the darkness and we're following that person and we're following that voice and still we can't find a way out. And we hear voices and we are used to voices in this place and then some of them start to disappear. And new voices come in, little voices. As we spend more time there, we hear them grow up, we hear their voices mature, and then one day a voice calls you. And a voice calls you by your name. And you've never heard this voice before. It's a different voice. And you recognize right from the first moment that it calls you that there's something different. That there's love in this voice. So in the pitch black, you start to follow it. As it calls your name. And you follow it and you follow it. And as you start to follow it, you can start to see a little, a little glimmer of light, like that little red dot, a little glimmer of light. As you follow it closer and closer and closer, there's more and there's more and more light. And then suddenly, you're out of the darkness. And you're standing outside of this prison. And you're standing in the light. And you look down and you can see the handcuffs and the chains that are on your wrists and that are on your feet. And there's a man standing in front of you. This man starts to undo your handcuffs. And he takes off your chains. And you ask him, who are you? He says to you, I'm your elder brother. And you look at him, my elder brother. I thought that I was an orphan. And he looks at you and he says, you're not an orphan. He says, you have a father. And your father sent me here to release you. Your father sent me here to call you and to bring you out of this place. And he brings you away from this prison. And he says to you that, that you, not only are you released from this, you're never going back to that, but you're going to come and you're going to come back to your father's house, my father, our father's house. And you're going to get to dwell there forever. And there's going to be life there. And there's going to be a great table. And around this table are going to be brothers and sisters from every land. You're not an orphan. You're part of this great family. And I'm going to put clothes on you, fresh clothes, new clothes, clean clothes, my clothes, and I'm going to give you a ring. And there's going to be a great feast, delivered, rescued here in chapter 1, verse 4. He, gives him, he gave himself for our sins to rescue us. That was us. That's each one of us this morning in that dark 
prison cell, running around after voices that said, look, this will satisfy us, that will satisfy us, and we chase after it, and we scramble around, and then God, by His grace, steps into our life. And He calls us. And He calls us in love. So this is our story this morning. As we sit before the table, that Jesus has rescued us, that he has delivered us once we were dead, and now we've been brought into life. And you see, Paul here, that's what he says to the Galatian church, and he says to them here in chapter 1, to get them right back to the start, that Jesus gave himself for you, to rescue you. It's all about him. It's nothing to do about yourselves. It's all for his glory, verse 5. It's all to do about him, what he has done for us. So he wants the church to see their freedom. This morning, as we sit before the table, if you're here and you think that you're losing your salvation this morning, know this, brother and sister, you didn't earn it to begin with. It's all to do about Jesus, all to do with Jesus. Perhaps you're here this morning and you think you need to work a little bit harder Do you need to earn the right to come to this table? You don't. Because Jesus earned it all. He did it all. Or perhaps you think this morning that you're entitled to come to this table because of your family background, how long you've attended this church, your money, whatever it may be, you cannot come to this table relying on them things. You come to this table as part of a family, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and in him alone. So that we understand that his mercy has been poured out over us. We are forgiven. And that he has imputed his righteousness upon us. Jesus here forgives sins. He came to deliver us, to rescue us, verse 4. To give himself up for us, to deliver us, rescue us from these sins. According to the will of God the Father friend here this morning that's dealing with sin and guilt and shame. There is no sin too great. There is no sin too strong. No sin that stains too deep. No sin beyond the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as the enemy tells you and accuses you of your sin before the table, there is no sin too great. So this transforms everything about us, you see, this morning, because we understand that the gospel isn't just a way to enter into the kingdom, but the gospel is the way that we live as part of the kingdom. The gospel isn't just something for us on the first day that we believe. The gospel is something for us every day that we believe. So we need the gospel as much today as whenever we first trusted. And that's, that's why Paul's so exercised in, in chapter 1. I'm astonished. I, I can't believe it. What, you're following another gospel. Even if an angel should preach to you another gospel, you don't follow it. This is the good news for you. This is the freedom that you have. Delivered from death. Secondly, this morning, I want us to see that we are united to Christ. That we are united to Christ. This is the best way I could illustrate it. This chain, imagine that it's unbreakable. We are united to him. He is one link and we are the other. You cannot be separated from him. Paul says in chapter 2, verse 20, as he starts to explain this a little bit before we go on into chapter 3, 220, we'll probably recognize it. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, 
But Christ who lives in me and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How do we think about this? How can we think about union to Christ? I want us this morning to imagine that it's like a, it's like a house, right? Imagine each of us are a house. And the house is the age that you are. Whatever age that you are, that's, that's how old the house is. And we come and we look at this house and it looks great. It looks lovely. But as we get into the house, we start to realize that things perhaps are a little bit out of line. The back garden needs a little bit of work done to it. Some of the rooms, they're just not really as tidy as what we would like. Maybe there's an old damp carpet, fusty carpet, old damp fusty curtains. But maybe we'll, we'll, we'll tidy it up a little bit. And as Christian people, we think of ourselves like that house, as if the Holy Spirit comes in and he does a little bit of a tidy up job. Puts on new curtains, gets us new carpet, freshens the place up, a little bit of plaster, a little bit of paint, we'll be okay. What does Paul say in 2.20? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. Instead of the Holy Spirit coming to us like a house and doing a little bit of a patch-up job, the Holy Spirit comes to us and it's a total, total demolition job of our own life. It's gone. It's bulldozed away. It's pushed away. And he starts to build us up again right from the foundations up that we have been, chapter 1, justified, made right before the Lord. And here that we are united to him, that we live in him. In the chapter 3, And we will see it. For as many of you who have been baptized into Christ, you're clothed in him. You're united to him. You're in Christ. And for us this morning, this gives us a great sense of comfort. Union to Christ, the fact that we are united to him as Christians here in this place, means that we can know that we will never be separated from him. That we are in his hand. That he is our Lord that he is our shepherd and he will not let us be lost, that we are part of his flock, that he'll watch over us and guide us and lead us. You see, the Holy Spirit comes and he takes over the house and rebuilds the house. And the fact that we are united to Christ means that this will never change. You see, he now owns the house, he's built it, and he's never going to put it up for sale again. That's you, Christian brother. And Christian sister. So the distractions that come to lodge in our life, that come to lodge in our home, it's time for us to say, you're uninvited. Leave. And the sin that has been lodging in our spare room, it's time for us to say, get out. You're not welcome any longer. Why? Because we are a new building. We are made fresh. Christian here this morning, we are bound to Jesus. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit and we are part of his family. And it changes everything for us. Whenever we understand this, it means that we can face things in life knowing that we are united to him. Jesus in me. I am Christ, clothed in him. And it gives us great freedom. Why? Because the world doesn't think like that. The world thinks that it has to have its satisfaction in all of the other things, but we say simply... Christ is enough. 
So we have been delivered from death. We are united to Christ. And finally, I want us to know this morning that we are adopted through Christ. One of my favorite films, I've shared this before, is The Lion King. I love The Lion King. I can tell you near enough every word in The Lion King. I can sing the songs in The Lion King, which wouldn't be pleasant, but you know the little bit where like uh, Timon and Pumbaa, I can see what's happening. What? And they don't have a clue who? Not, you know, some people know what's going on there, okay? <laughs> They're starting to smile. Right, Lion King, I love it. And Mufasa, he's, he's the father. If you're not familiar with it, Mufasa is the, the father lion. And Mufasa comes to Simba and he tells him something. As, as a great battle rages, as Scar, the evil uncle, takes over the, the kingdom, he tells Simba that he needs to rise up. And he tells him this. He says, Simba, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Christian brother and sister here this morning. We need to hear this. Remember who you are. Who are we this morning? Well, here in Galatians, what's Paul telling them? That you've been called, that you've been delivered, that you're united to Christ, and that you are adopted. I think this is, it's really hard for us to understand what it means. What does it look like for someone to be adopted? We, we struggle with this sometimes. But the richness of this, we use the illustration of the judge on the throne. And the judge is about to condemn us to death. Death sentence hanging over us. And then the judge's son walks in and stands before us and says to the judge, I'll take it. Jesus, standing in our place, the substitutionary atonement, he takes the punishment that we deserve. And then the judge says, okay. And he comes off his throne, off his seat, and then he comes down to us, puts his arm around us, and he says to us, not only are you deemed okay, but I'm going to take you home so that you can be with me. And he walks us home, just like that illustration earlier, clothes us, puts a ring on our finger, introduces us to our new family. Once, once we were just before the death sentence, now we're part of this great family, adopted in. A great inheritance kept for us. Sinclair Ferguson says this about it. Sinclair is a, is a commentator, um, a great preacher. Sinclair says this about adoption. The notion that we are children of God, his own sons and daughters, is the mainspring of Christian living. Our sonship to God is the apex. It is the height of creation and the goal of redemption. You see, for us here this morning, to be just right before God, that we are okay before God because of Jesus, is something that's great. It's like a legal declaration. But adoption, adoption means that we are loved by God, the Father. So whenever we think of him like an old granddad in the sky, someone who's constantly annoyed at us, and it's only because of Jesus that things are okay, that is not our Father. Our Father is loving and kind. He is patient. He is full of grace. He is forgiving. And He's glad that we are His son and His daughter. How do we know this? Because there's a great cost to adoption here. He has to send His son for us. His son must die so that we can be adopted sons and daughters. A couple of illustrations again to help us think this through. 
Do you, do you know whenever a, a, a little kid, maybe your kid, uh, draws a painting or draws a picture of what it's like? Do you know them little pictures that we get or that, that perhaps that we have given? And it's a, it's a little house, a little home, and it's all squares, uh, and it's a little bit squiggly, and then we draw a little tree and, and try to put some leaves on it, and then we put like three or four, depending on how many people are in your family, little stick men, and one has longer hair than the other, and, and it's all really confusion, and that's even if it's as good as that, right? And then the little one will bring it up to you, and they'll show you it. And you look at it, and you're like, that's lovely. What's that? <laughs> and they start to explain it to you. They take the page and they say, oh, that's, that's us. And, and, and that's where we live. And, and that's a tree. And that's the sun. Because you can't make it out because it's all every shape, right? That's an image of us. And that's the image of what we present to the Father. We come to God and we present this, our little painting, our little lives before him. And what should God do with that? What should the Father do? He should scrumple it up. Toss it in the bin. Useless. You're not like Picasso. Brutal. Can't even make it out. No, he doesn't have that response. Instead, what does he do? He takes it like we do, and instead of that, pins it up in the fridge so that everybody can see it that comes into the home. Proud of it. This is my son or daughter's work. This is my little one's work. That's how God treats us. Sons and daughters, even though we're so unworthy, even though we're so pathetic as we come to him, he says, no, 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 you're part of my family. I've brought you in, and you will sit at my table with the rest of your brothers and sisters, and you will eat with my family because you are my son and because you are my daughter. So this morning, we want to know that our father is not going to kick us out of the house as a little one breaks an ornament or knocks something over. They're not going to be kicked out. They're not going to have their dinner prevented from giving it to them. They're not going to have that withheld from them. So our father loves us and is gracious to us and is merciful towards us. And as we come today before the table, he says to us again, know who you are. You're my sons and my daughters. And one day, one day we're going to go home. And one day we're going to enjoy this in its fullest sense with all of our brothers and sisters. Not just a little few of us here this morning in Hill Street, but with all of us. So we're going through a difficult time here this morning. Know this, God says it's the most difficult. If you're a Christian, it's the most difficult time that you'll ever go through. Why? Because one day you're going to be with me in heaven, an heir, a son and a daughter. So this morning's a great celebration. We reflect on where we've come from and we see who we are and the great benefit that we have in Jesus because he gave himself for us. And perhaps this morning you're here and you're not part of this family. All of the things that I've been talking about, they're really strange to you, but you know something, you know that you want to be part of it. You know that you want to come out of that prison cell. You want to hear your name being called. You want to come out of darkness and into life. This table is open for you this morning. It's open if you will trust him. Believe in him. Come before him. So that you can come and be part of this family. I'll close with this. This is a testimony. Someone put it like this. 
I once was a slave. And whenever I was a slave, there was no love for me there. Everyone lied to me. My tyrant of a boss, he made me false promises. He burdened me. He took away my hope. Him and his servants, they led me into darkness and into death. They kept me away from any light. They laughed at people who had joy. They laughed and mocked at the people that called themselves Christians. Yet, they seemed to fear them. Now, now I'm part of a family. A family who loves me. Who have hope and who have joy and who have life and a future. And my father is kind. And he is tender to me. He teaches me. He walks with me. He lets me talk to him. He lets me ask him questions. And he shows me the answers. Somebody's testimony. This is our family. This is our God. A God who has lavished his love upon us. 1 John 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. This morning, the Father invites us back into his presence to sit around his table and to enjoy him because we are his children. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that we get to call you that, that you are our Father, that we get to cry unto you, Abba, Father. And Lord, we recognize and we realize here this morning the great price that you had to pay to bring us in to be your sons and your daughters, that you had to sacrifice your own son, the Lord Jesus. Jesus, we come before you here this morning and we praise you as our elder brother, as our Lord and as our Savior, that you laid down your life, that you took the punishment that we deserve, and then you led us out of death and you brought us to life so that we can gather here this morning around the table and enjoy a little foretaste of what you have in store for us. Our hearts are lifted. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray.